It's my first time uh, speaking uh, at an event in the round, and so uh, this will be, be somewhat interesting. Some of you are going to see my best side, um, and then others of you are going to see my face. And so, um, uh, in, in any case, uh, I, I apologize for that sometimes, but uh, in any case, uh, we're glad that you're here. This is something that we're trying out. We're doing this for Christmas especially, and uh, for now, this is what we're doing. One of the things that we love about this setup right now is that uh, this has the opportunity for us to be able to uh, worship together, p- uh, perhaps not so much at us, those of us who are on stage, but with us. And so we want to worship together both in the Word uh, but, and also in song. And so uh, our prayer is that you'd, um, you'd experience that with us and that you'd uh, en- enjoy that and uh, come together in that sense. We're going to be in James chapter 3 uh, here in just uh, a second. But um, in our world today, there's a lot that is taking place. There's a lot of things uh, that happen throughout this life that are just devastating, just devastating. There's so much devastation in our world today, as you may well know, through terrorism and things of that nature. But you look throughout the world and you see uh, racism and you see bigotry and you see religious elitism and you see uh, all of these different types of things that, that take place where one, uh, one thing says it's better than another and, and it does this in, a, in an in an angry way, uh, we see uh, all kinds of things being said back and forth between world leaders. Uh, we see uh, marriages that are being wrecked. Uh, we see uh, wars that are started. Uh, we see churches that are split. We see community groups uh, that are ruined. We see friendships that are ended. And we see kids that are destroyed. There's so much stuff that happens in our world through one thing, and it comes uh, from our mouth. It comes through the words that we speak and the things that we say. It it comes in in those those ways. Much of the uh, internal strife, if you're married here today, comes from the words that you say. I can attest to that. It's the words that you say in, in the midst of an argument. It's the, it's the things that you uh, argue about. It's what you say in the midst of those arguments. Uh, in, our, uh, in, in my marriage, I have had to learn repeatedly that it does not matter if I think that I wasn't a jerk. If my wife thinks I was a jerk, uh, I am actually a jerk. Because in that realm, perception is reality. In that realm, perception is reality. The way that I was perceived is the way that I really am, at least to that person. And so uh, there's so many things that happen in the midst of our marriage, in the midst of uh, your friendships, in the midst of the things that are going on, in, in, the, in the way that our church works together. So much is riding on the things that we say to one another. So much is riding on the way that you communicate with other people. And for some reason... Uh, too often, Christians overlook this one thing in their life, and they say, well, I'm, I'm saved. Jesus saved me, and so I should just go on and live however I want and act however I want, uh, perhaps, say the things that I want. Somehow, within the context of the church, this ends up being a breeding ground for uh, hateful speech towards one another and even towards the outside world. And, and I'm not denying for a second that there's things that we vehemently disagree uh, with the outside world uh, with. But Jesus, 
had massive disagreements with our world as well, and yet he was gracious and he was kind. But here we are, the church, and so many times we find ourselves saying things uh, in the midst of discussions, in the midst of arguments, and we're tearing other people down, and we're, we're causing problems. And James, uh, and God through James, has something to say to us about this. James has something to say uh, to us about this um, that, is, that should bring clarity to some things. And that is that our words matter. They matter. I told you last week that I think it's important that we understand the, the perception that James is coming from. When you look in uh, the, the Bible, specifically in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul talks about um, what it means to be saved uh, or justification. And Paul is, is talking in many cases, not in every case, but in many cases, he's, he's got the perspective of the beginning of the Christian life. This is how you get in. And James, in many cases, is talking about towards the end of the Christian life. In the end, what's it going to be like? Uh, what's it mean to be a Christian? And so Paul says, it takes nothing, there is nothing that you can do to earn your salvation. There's nothing that you can do to earn your salvation. But if, the, if these things are true of you, if you are saved, your life will progressively change. But your salvation, your justification, is not dependent on whether you are a good person or whether you're nice, or whether you uh, do or do not uh, hit your sister, my son is sitting right there, or, uh, or the different things that we, that we do. Your justification is not based on that. But James is looking at the end of life, and he's saying this. He's, he's looking down the halls of your life, and, he, and he's saying this. If you look at your life and you cannot see any difference between who you were before you came to faith and who you were after you came to faith, then something is wrong. Then something is wrong. You cannot look at your life and say, I have hope in Christ when really nothing in my life has been changed. And so what has to happen is I have to go through some serious dialogue internally and say, have I really received Jesus Christ as my Savior? Is He really the one who's saving me, or am I being saved by myself or what I think is myself? We've been talking a lot about don't follow your heart. We've titled this series, James, Don't Follow Your Heart. And the reason why we did that is so much of our world is based on the idea that you should do what you want to do, that you should say whatever comes to mind and say it at any time that you want. You should, you should just say how you feel. You should just let it out. You're not being real if you don't let those things out, people might tell you. But what James is going to tell us is something different, and that is that your tongue dictates the direction of your life. Your tongue will commit your life to destruction. You will create destruction throughout your life, and ultimately it may point to a reality that, that isn't true of you. And then finally, uh, the tongue has the ability to make a decision by, by you helping yourself understand who Jesus is. And we'll get to that in just a minute. Let's get into the passage here. It says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness 
For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire! And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird uh, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with, with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Now what James is talking to us about here, obviously, is taming the tongue, as it's often called in, uh, in Christian circles and obviously in this passage. And he says, ultimately, let, that no one can tame the tongue. Like, there, there is no holding it back, oftentimes. There's, there's nothing that's going to keep this thing in its cage. And so many of us have found that to be the truth. So many of us have found that to be the truth. The famous Civil Wars song, a, a band called Poison and Wine, says, Your mouth is poison. Your mouth is wine. You don't understand what you have in, inside of your mouth, you don't understand the ability that your mouth has to be able to create poison in the midst of your relationships, in the midst of our world, or wine, healing, refreshment. You don't understand what, what it looks like in your life. Now, the first thing that, that James says is he says, not many of you should claim to be teachers. Not many of you should become teachers, I should say. My brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, what, why does he start that uh, with that? Well, I believe he's saying this because he's speaking to a group of people. And there's a lot of people in this church or in this area who think that they can be a teacher, that they can be a leader. But one of the things about them is that their tongue is kind of messed up. And what James is saying is he's saying, not many of you guys should try to act like you're a teacher because what's happening in you is that you don't have control over your tongue. You should not be a teacher if you cannot also control your mouth. If you can't control the words that are coming out of your mouth, then there is a problem. So what this means is this, is that if you're going to be a leader, 
if you're going to be a leader in the church especially, but even outside of this, like if you're going to be a leader, one of the things that needs to be is that there needs to be a tongue that is redeemed. There needs to be a tongue that is redeemed. Not only does your body need to be saved, not only does your wallet need to get saved, but your tongue needs to be saved as well if you're going to be someone who's going to lead others to faith in Jesus Christ and to further their walk with Jesus Christ. This is true at our church. We have a higher standard for leaders. What we require of our leaders is that they watch their tongue. We ask them to make sure that they're careful with the posts that they make on Facebook because while that may not be a literal tongue, it is coming out as words. It is your words. The things that you say are affecting other people. So we ask our leaders to make sure that they're being careful with the things that they post and the things that they say and the way that they communicate because of this, because it affects people. It affects people more than we think. We can either bring poison or we can bring wine into each situation. And so he says leaders need to be people who are consistently concerned about these things. Then he says, for we all stumble in many ways. In verse 2, we, everyone stumbles in many ways. Who here has not said a rash word, maybe even this morning? Who here has not uh, struggled with the things that you say and destroying the relationships that you've had around you, uh, accidentally saying something, or perhaps even on purpose, just kind of speaking your mind? If you're somebody who tends to be a little bit outspoken, like yours truly, sometimes you may find that you put your foot in your mouth a lot. Every single one of us stumbles in many ways. That's another thing about teachers, is that our mouths are always running, aren't they? You're like, when is this guy going to stop talking? He talks and talks and talks. That's what I get paid to do, so lay off me for a second here. But it, what, what the problem is, is that when you talk for a living, and also listen, obviously that's a very important part of being a pastor, but when you talk, it's hard to not ever stumble, but all of us Use our words consistently on a regular basis. And so many times what happens is that we put our foot in our mouth. But James is acknowledging something here. He's saying all of us struggle in this way. Every single one of us has a problem with this on some level or another. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says this. that Many times people, they, they say, you know, I, I, uh, I know people um, who don't know Jesus who, uh, who are nice. I hear this all the time. I know people who don't know Jesus who are nice all the time. What does Christianity bring to the table? Well, here, here, here's the thing. When you encounter Christians who are not very nice, one of the questions that we want to ask is what were they like before they were a Christian? You should have seen me before. I was, I was a disaster. I was a mess. I was somebody who had some serious problems with putting my foot in my mouth. And, and I had... Uh, major issues with that, and the truth is, I still do sometimes. We all stumble in many ways. None of us here is without fault in some way, and if someone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. What he's saying there is he's saying this, that when your tongue is under control, what it says about you is it says that your life is under control. When somebody ha makes rash statements on a regular basis, when somebody has cutting words, when someone has poison to put into the midst of relationships, to the midst of community groups, to the midst, midst of families, all of those things, oftentimes what you will see is that that is not the end of it. 
But what Paul is saying here is that your tongue is directing you. It's directing you in the way that you live your life, in the way that you're acting. Your tongue is directing you. And he says this, uh, then the, verse 3, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. And then he talks about ships, how the, this giant ship, there's so many other uh, influences, waves and wind and all kinds of things, but it's, it's steered by a very small rudder. You have to understand that your life is being steered by either a bit or a rudder, and that is your tongue. Your tongue is steering your life in the directions that you're going, whether you know it or not. I remember as a young uh, man, I, um, I used to be fairly critical of people. In my mind, I would, I would I, and not that I've lost this criticism, but I, by God's grace, I, I feel like I've overcome that in many cases. Or my heart would lead me to say, oh, that's dumb. That's stu- that, that, was, that was really stupid. You're probably saying that about what I'm saying right now, but that's what I used to, I, you know, I would make fun of people in my mind. Someone close to me used to do this all the time, and so I became critical of people all the time, and I had to get to a point where I began to say, I need to, re- I, this needs to be redeemed in me. And I needed to start thinking about people in a different way because the way that I thought about people led me to treat them in particular ways. It, it led me to, to treat people poorly because if I thought poorly of them, then in some ways I would treat them poorly and I would speak uh, poorly about them. And so I had to change what was going on inside of me. In fact, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 33. He says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. What's happening outside of your mouth is what's happening inside of you. Uh, for the tree is known by its fruit. If you want to make a difference in Salem, and we want to be people who love Jesus and live outward. We want to be passionate uh, about Jesus with this incredible hope for our city, but when you come to your city and you say, I have hope, but the way that you speak to other people is not nice. You bring poison to your relationships or your, the way that you speak with your wife or the way that you speak with your kids or the way that you communicate with others. When you bring poison, what it's saying about you is that this is not good fruit. Believers can see it and unbelievers can see it. They can look at our life and say, that is not who Jesus is. That's not who he is. And so Jesus goes on and he says, you brood of vipers. How can you speak good? He's speaking to the Pharisees. He's saying something about them. He's saying, this is what you're like. You're a a brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. And then he says one more thing. I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Jesus takes this pretty serious. 
he takes this very seriously, and, he, and he's saying this. He's saying that when we speak in ways that are poisonous to our culture, to our family, to our church, when we bring poison, we, we're, we're poisoning things, and we are setting the direction of where things are going to go with us. The church is not an organization. It's a group of people. And so when we bring poison, what happens is it poisons all of us. It brings about poison in all of our relationships. And sometimes we can have people in our church that run off at the mouth and are consistently just saying whatever we want, and we don't understand what Jesus has to say. That what this is saying is that he, he says the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Jesus is saying, when you bring forth evil, when you bring forth careless words, it is pointing to something in us. It's pointing to something in us. And it's saying there is a bigger issue that's going on in our heart right then. Now, it may not mean that you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, but what it may mean is this, is that there's an aspect of your character that needs healing from Jesus. There's an aspect of your character, there's an aspect of trust that you have not handed over to Jesus. You're trusting Jesus in an ethereal type of way, like, yeah, I trust in him. But what you haven't done is you haven't taken real trust and said, okay, I'm going to take it out of this ethereal and make it specific. Like, I trust Jesus to save me, but I also need to trust Jesus that he is going to work out the details of my life that I don't have to go after you and force you to do what I want you to do. I don't have to badger you with my words so that I make you do what I want. I don't have to tear you down. I don't have to berate my wife because of this, because Jesus has saved me. He saved me from having to be in control because he is in control. When I submitted my life to him, what I said was this, is that he is sovereign. He's the one that saves. I cannot save myself. My justification doesn't come from me. And so as a result, that plays out in my life and the things that I say. And when I don't understand this, that's when I start speaking rashly. That's when I start demanding things. For me, it's, it's when I get a little edgy. It's when I get curt with the things that I'm saying. It's when I just say it how it is. And it, it plagues me all the time. And I have to say, I have to say this, like so for some reason I felt like Matt was savior right now. For some reason I felt like Matt was savior. And that's a source of, of evil in my life. It's not helping. So first of all, your words are setting the direction of your life. It's, it's setting the direction of your family. Let me stop on that for a second. The direction of your family, men especially, is going to go in the direction of the way that you speak. The way that you speak to your wife is of critical importance. The way that you say things is absolutely critical. 
I've been in count, countless situations where the guy, and I'm, I'm going to include myself in this because this is me as well. We say, I don't think I said that. I, I said it like this. And my wife knows better now, and she says to me, but that's not the way that I perceived it. And she knows I'm going to use this sermon illustration, and that I can't say, say this with any amount of conviction unless I believe it, and that is perception is reality to my wife. The way that you speak to your wife is of critical importance, and I fail at this perhaps daily. I fail at this with my kids sometimes. Sometimes I, I'm, I'm, I'm quick to, to order them to do something and I, without love in my voice. I mean, one, one of the, the, the frustrations in my life, when there's so much stuff going on, we have all four of our kids in our, in our house, and it's just it's frustrating. There's a lot of voices I would like to teach them how to use their tongue better, but they just scream. There's all kinds of things that are happening. They're yelling. They want my attention. They're jumping up and down. They're, they're, but then I use my tongue. I use my tongue in a way that sometimes is too demanding. It's ordering them rather than loving them. I am setting the direction of my family. And guys, I can guarantee you this. If you continue to live life in this way, you will run your family into the ground. You'll, you'll, you'll run your family aground. If you're a ship, you will take it off course because of the way that you're speaking, just simply by speaking with kindness and grace. It says something about you, and ultimately what it means is this, is that you're trying to understand this, that when Jesus says, I'm sorry, when Paul says in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. When that is said, what this means is this, is that so many times this, this feels like it's just out there. Like, I don't understand how to make this happen in my marriage, you know? But what, really, the way that this plays out, the way that the gospel plays out, as Jesus loved the church, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. How do we do that? It is in those moments that you must lay down your rights. You have to lay down your rights, and you have to say, listen, I am not going to take my rights in this moment, and I am going to lay down my rights every bit of everything that I think that I'm owed or I deserve right now. I have to lay them down, and I'm literally putting to death my own rights. And it's in the midst of a conversation. How do you love your wife as Christ loved the church? One of the foremost ways is in the things that you say. Now, this doesn't mean that our wives are not, or that women don't also struggle with what they say, but men, you lead the family. You lead the family in the, in the way that things are said. But then, men, when you are kind and you are gentle in the things that you say, you can also bring change to your family as you model what it looks like to lay down your rights, as you don't respond in anger, even if there's anger coming at you, as you don't retaliate when things happen to you. Guys, it is critically important that you lead in this way. But, gals, it is also critically important that you understand the weight of your words as well. So much of what you say, some of you are just about to get uh, married. Some of you are, are engaged, and some of you are newly married. And some of you, you gals don't understand the weight of your words. You don't understand how much the things that you say affect your husband. 
You think that he's this big oaf who uh, nothing really affects him, and really we're just kind of being cool and calm and, and whatnot sometimes, but we get angry, right? But really what's happening is that you could be tearing down your husband. Do you understand that your words... You, your words, the things that you say to your husband, you're the only one that can say some of those things. You're the only one that can build him up in every possible way. You get to be somebody who's speaking into his life and encouraging him. My wife is my biggest encourager. I mean, constantly. I, I'm, 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 I'm even less... Last night, as we're, we're talking about this, and I'm just going, what's this going to be like? This is about to fall apart. My wife was working on encouraging me. She was working on encouraging me, saying, it's going to be okay. This is whatever. My wife is my biggest encourager. You can do that for your husband. But ladies, if you're single here today, you need to also understand that you can be an encouragement to friends. You can be an encouragement in those situations. So often, um, because our gals are, are more verbal sometimes, sometimes our conversations can devolve into talking about other people. And you can set the direction of the type of friends that you have. And you can set the direction of the things that are going on. Because there may not be a whole lot else going on. And so conversations begin. And so it begins to devolve. And you set the direction of that. You're setting the direction of the things that you're doing. And I'll just say this. If you're not married yet, gals, you need to find a guy who loves Jesus, first of all, but knows how to use his words, is humble in some of those situations. And obviously, men should do the same. So that's number one, direction. Where's my timer here? Okay, we should probably move that. So <laughs> there's some things that aren't quite put together yet. But for the first thing is you, you're setting the direction of your life. Number two, you are, your words are ensuring the destruction of your life. Your words are ensuring the destruction of your life. I, I, I want to be really serious right now. And just say this, it's not just a comment. It's not just a flippant remark. It's not just something that you said offhand. It is ensuring the destruction of the relationships around you and even your own life. He says in verse 5, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Like, it, it was just a little thing. I, just, I was just kind of angry. I just communicated a little bit rashly. You've, you must understand that it is a, an incredible forest fire. It goes from this little baby campfire to this incredible blaze that is burning millions of acres and it is tearing things out. And you've got to understand this, that those little comments on perhaps a small scale are literally what is tearing our world apart. Marriages, countries, people, religions. It's tearing things apart at the seams. And we think it's just a small thing. It's just a small fire. 
but you don't understand how quickly this gets out of control. You don't understand. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness, a world of unrighteousness. It's not just an isolated event. It is a world of unrighteousness that's coming out of my mouth. The way that I speak, it is a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. What did I say? It's out of the, the good things in your life, you speak good things. The fruit of your life, are, in many cases, are the things that you say. The fruit of your life is this stuff. But you must understand that those things that you're say, saying are staining who you are. They're staining your person. They're staining the rest of your life. They're staining your influence in our city. We want to impact our city. We want people to know and love Jesus Christ. And when we choose to live in a way that is unrighteous, allowing our tongue to say whatever it wants, allowing our heart to lead us, it is staining our whole body. It's setting our world on fire in a negative way. Setting on fire the course or the entire course of life. The entire course of your life. I mean, I, I want things to be different. I want my life to be different. I want things to change. And yet the one thing that we don't do is we, we're, we're like waiting. We're like waiting for something to happen. We're waiting for something to take place. And our words don't change, and we continue to tear things apart. And then he says, and set on fire by hell. And I think James means to scare us a little bit. I think James wants us to know something, that he's talking about eternity. And he's saying this, that if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, then what's going to happen is this, is that your life is going to be stained. You're setting on fire your relationships. You're setting on fire your business relationships. You're setting on fire the people around you. And he says, ultimately, what that means is that that person doesn't know Jesus. And that's not a judgment that I can make. I can only look at the fruit of your life and say, I don't see evidence of that. It may be true, but I don't see the evidence of you actually walking with Jesus. But James is saying, you should understand this, but that this may speak to whether you are a, truly a follower of Jesus Christ. And he means to actually give us pause and to say, okay, what's true of me? Do I have good treasure that's been stored up? Or do I have bad treasure that's been stored up? What's going on with me? We are committing our life to destruction when we misuse our words. And then in verse 7, he says, I'm sorry, verse 8, no human being can tame it. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And I just think that just seems kind of a, like a downer, kind of fatalistic, isn't it? Like you can't, you can't control it. Oh, by the way, 
you're hosed. <laughs> There's nothing you can do. Like, what, what could I possibly do to see my life change? What could I possibly do to change my heart? What could I possibly do to make that different? I am full of deadly poison. I bring poison into my relationships. What can I do? I'm going to get to that in just a second. He says, with it we bless our Lord and Father, in verse 9. And with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. The primary reason why it's wrong for us to curse people, why it's wrong for us to, to put people down and to curse them. And, and in that day, there would have been more curses that people would have brought down and tried to curse you or something like that. But what he's saying is this, that in many ways, we curse people. And he's saying the way that you speak to people, the, the reason why you shouldn't do that is because of this. It's inconsistent. First of all, there's blessing and cursing. It shouldn't be coming out of the same place. But second of all, that person that you're cursing is an image bearer. God has created every single one of us in the image and likeness of God. And as a result, when I'm cursing you, I'm cursing God. When you curse me, you're cursing God. The primary reason why we shouldn't allow hate speech, real hate speech, I should say, the primary reason why we shouldn't allow racism and things of that nature is because of this. We're calling into question someone's goodness as an image bearer, and therefore we're calling into question God. We're dishonoring God as we dishonor our fellow human being. Verse 10, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. These things should not happen. Let me speak to our church. My brothers and my sisters, this should not be at our church. You got to understand that when, when we say things, we're poisoning our church. When we, when we talk trash about people, we're poisoning our church. My brothers and my sisters, this should not be at Outward Church. It shouldn't be at any church, but it especially should not be here. We must look out for one another. We must be people who bring healing, who bring wine into our relationships, who bring graciousness. But even more so, not just in the church, but in, in our city, the way that we're communicating with the server, the way that we're communicating with the person on the other end of the line. I was convicted about this recently. I get edgy with people who are on, uh, you know, phone calls, customer service, and so forth. And I, 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 get, I get irritated sometimes. I, I don't blow up at them, but I, I get frustrated. And I was frustrated the other day. I, my mortgage company switched where my payment was going to go, but really it was staying at the same, you know, uh, company. But now I had to switch where it was going to go. And I had to restart a whole new, you know, web thing so that I could pay online and whatever. And I, could, I, I, was, I was a little bit irritated at first, and I, I just, I wanted to tell this girl, like, I'm so frustrated right now, and I'm, this, this is ridiculous, you know, that type of stuff. 
as I listened to her, I realized, man, this girl is having a bad day. And she, she ended up, I, I said, have you been dealing with this a lot? She said, all day, every day, this has been happening. And it's so frustrating. And she sounded like she was about to cry. And I just said, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry that this is taking place. Now, I'm completely inconvenienced. I still have to do this. But here's the thing. I know that that girl doesn't think I'm a believer. Or she may not even know. I, I don't know what she thinks. But all I, all I can say is this, is that we must be gracious to everyone, it says in Colossians. Make sure that we're gracious to everyone, even those who don't know that you're a believer. I was convicted about this, thinking like, oh, they don't know that I'm a pastor, I'm a, I'm a believer, and so I can act any way that I want when I'm not somewhere else. But that's duplicity. That's being two different people in two different places. And even though I'm not cussing people out, the truth is, is that I don't have a graciousness that reflects my God. I don't have a graciousness that's going throughout my city. And let me just tell you, more people know than you think, or more people will find out than you think. And so we have an opportunity in our city to be grace, to be wine, to bring blessing, and to bring healing. He says, does a spring pour forth, pour forth from the same opening from uh, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Here's the thing. You can't change what kind of tree you are. But Jesus can. You can't change what kind of pond you are or what kind of spring you are. But Jesus can. Jesus promises streams of living water that can come out of us when we receive him as Savior. So the question is this. Are we people who have received him as Savior? Are we people who look in our life and apply the gospel into those situations that we're dealing with? In Isaiah 53, Jesus, uh, there's a prophecy about Jesus, and it says in verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus was brutalized and he opened not his mouth. Jesus was brutalized with a closed mouth because of your and my open mouth. We run our mouths and we say the things that we do. It's a world of unrighteousness. It's insidious poison in our relationships. And Jesus is the only one that can change that. Because of this, as long as you believe that you have rights in all situations, I'm not talking about abuse in some ways, but I'm talking about as long as you believe that you have rights and you shouldn't have to put up with this, you'll struggle with this idea. But until you see that Jesus laid down his rights so that you could have his forgiveness, you will not be somebody who lets these things go. I want to encourage you with this. Jesus is the one who can save us from ourselves. Jesus is the one who can make things different. Jesus is the one who brings about a sense of healing 
and a sense of refreshment in our church. We want to be a place that is blessing the socks off of our city. Would you please do that as you go forth into your jobs and into your families and into your relationships? Because Jesus has done it for you. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we just ask that you, that you would cause us to be people who would uh, be fully engaged with this idea that our words matter, the things that we're saying, the places that we're, um, that we're, we're going with our comments. Or some of us have, have dirty minds that are bringing about dirty talk. And Lord, some of us have hateful minds that are bringing about hateful speech. And Lord, some of us have just been wounded in the past and we need your healing so that we can be kind to others. Lord, I pray that we would see that the things that we say are some of the biggest issues in our life and in our world. Lord, I pray that these things would change in us. Lord, there's some of us here that need to apologize to someone because of the words that we've spoken. There's some of us here that need to make some drastic changes. Lord, I pray that that would take place. Lord, I pray that you would do something amazing in our city and in our church as a result. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.